This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Repeat, this is a test of the emergency podcast system. Disaster Girls is an unironic excavation of disaster movies with profiles as high as the tallest volcano and as low as the Marianas Trench. In order to ensure your safety and enjoyment, please remain calm and keep your ears locked on your hosts, myself, Jordan Gershiola, and me, Amanda Smith. Hello, welcome back once again. As our producer Jason likes to say, every episode is someone's first episode. So perhaps welcome for the first time to the Disaster Girls podcast. It's a very special episode because it is I, Jordan Cruciola. Me, Amanda Smith. And we have a guest joining us this week, Mika McKinnon. And Mika, I asked you just a moment ago what you do and we decided to hold that information for the podcast. So why don't you tell us what movie we're talking about today and how that applies to your area of interest? All right. So we are currently going to be talking about San Andreas. Yes. Which is everything that I love in a movie. Because <laughs> my combination of jobs is I am a field geophysicist, wow. a disaster researcher, wow. and a science consultant in the fiction industry. So oh my the science consultant in sci-fi movies like this. Oh my God, that is, I mean, so, okay, when we say fiction, you were thinking specifically feature film focus, not necessarily TV, or is it kind of a mix of things? Uh, I have done movies, I've done TV, I've oh. done books, I've done video games, I've done comics. If it is <laughs> fiction, I will happily work on it to create more plausible plot lines. For extra <laughs> bonus fun, I used to live in San Francisco and now I'm up in the Pacific Northwest. So this movie is oh. everything for me. <laughs> Mika, Mika, I, before living in Los Angeles, I spent seven years in San Francisco and I am a native of just south of Portland, Oregon from a town called Canby. So our lives are parallel in that regard. Perfection. Yes. Absolute perfection. It's one of my earliest childhood memories is the Loma Prieta 1989 earthquake, the very first televised earthquake. Wow. That's I have like crayon drawings of kindergarten me trying to process sitting in the headlands <laughs> watching the city burn. Whoa. So I've been waiting for this movie for a very long time. Wow, that's that's an origin story. And yeah, I was yeah, I was gonna say this complete like I understand why we are here with you today in this moment and everything you just said about your job based on that core memory. I, honestly, that's the be that's the first ten minutes of a movie in which yes. you star where you have to warn everybody about a giant quake happening in the Pacific Northwest and no one believes you. It's it here's the thing. Here's what here's what this is. You somehow must be in the eventual movie that is made from the New Yorker story about the catastrophic earthquake that's going to hit the Pacific Northwest when that subduction zone goes. You are the beginning of that movie, this origin story. And you as the central character, Mika McKinnon, must be our vehicle through which we see that disaster movie play out. I've decided. So I'll write it. I actually uh, was working for FEMA on their catastrophic response plans, particularly with respect to the Cascadia Rising. Wow. Oh my gosh. That exact earthquake scenario. I wrote some of the plans for it, uh, which is, again, why I love this movie, because I, this is not a movie about The Rock. He, like, he's a side character who does things <laughs> in helicopters and whatever. Yeah. The actual story is the story of Blake, yeah. a cute brunette girl You're who so wins right. heart and saves lives mm -hmm. through knowledge of disasters. 
You're so yeah. right. This is the perspective that we need from guests on the show. This is why we need to have people come on yeah. and give us their points of view. You're absolutely right, though. This is this is Blake's story, 100%. And again, as a proponent of Alexandra Daddario, I'm thrilled to hear that. And I didn't even have to elicit it. <laughs> I didn't even no, have no, to plant that. the star of the movie. And the entire point of the mo- movie is learn disaster preparedness and you get to live. <laughs> oh, you're going to be like a total jackass to the one person who knows what's going on? Guess you're going to die. <laughs> oh, wow. Well. Yeah, I, she could have told him, don't cross the Golden Gate Bridge. Like, that's, that's I feel like, just an entry, a rookie mistake right there. Oh, no, you never cross a bridge. Don't cross a bridge after an earthquake. Just, no. Right? No, 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 no. Oh, the entire no, city yeah, is collapsing. Just collapsing. Yeah. Well, and I, I will I will say just as for those, I mean, it's it's pretty obvious from a movie named San Andreas what this is about. Uh, if you have if you like disaster movies, I assume you know what the word San Andreas is in reference to, which is the big goddamn fault uh, that runs through California that we're all terrified of. And what happens in this movie is the the San Andreas fault, and I think maybe a new fault. Oh God, a new fault, maybe I, or so, faults combine, and it, yeah. there is a mass slippage of tectonic plates in this movie, causing a giant um, earthquake to happen thirty epicenter thirty miles east of Los Angeles that then triggers a chain reaction of earthquakes that move up the San Andreas Fault, culminating in a couple of massive major catastrophic earthquakes that hit San Francisco and all the accompanying damage that goes with that. And our heroes are divorced couple, The Rock and Carla Gugino, and their daughter, obviously the star of the movie, Blake. Uh, She has gone up to San Francisco. She, I think, is about ready to start her first year of college. So that is how old she is, because I have a lot of questions about She is 29 in this movie. Not looking like a freshman in college. She is 29 in that movie, being hit on by a man who's... a returning student. What was that? Was she a returning student? That's what I've decided. I, 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 I mean... Clearly, you can go out and have some life experience and then go to college later on. Nobody says you have to go directly from high school to university. Okay, you've fair. got all of this disaster knowledge. You've clearly gone off and done something. True. High she could have been an EMT. Yeah, we don't know actually how many disasters she has helped people through <laughs> in Europe while backpacking. We we don't exactly. know. Yeah, we don't know where she has been in like the like China or or Vietnam helping them through disasters in movies spin-off movies we have not yet had the privilege of whenever seeing. there's a fault rupturing she'll be there <laughs> whenever there's a volcano actually my biggest problem with this movie is actually that they stole the the fault line from the Pacific Northwest they told yes. stole the Cascadia zone and just shoved it into California because okay. we prefer destroying LA. Please, please do, please do elaborate more on that point so we understand sort of the fundamentals that are either on point or going askew in the movie San Andreas. What what do you mean by that? All right. So all of plate tectonics is these rigid yet flexible plates moving around the surface of our earth at about the same rate your fingernails grow. So every time you get like a manicure, think you're that much closer to the next big earthquake. Wow. <laughs> uh, sorry. I, I Amazing. My nails recently. It's incredible. Uh, so plates can move side to side. They can pull apart or one can go underneath the other. Mm-hmm. If they pull apart, you get mid-ocean ridges. They're pretty boring. If they're on land, you get like the East Africa Rift Valley. It's big. Mm-hmm. It's flat. It will eventually be an ocean, whatever. Um, if they are moving side to side, that would be San Andreas. Mm-hmm. And you get a bunch of shallow earthquakes 
fairly frequently. Mm-hmm. So you get like magnitude four, five, six, seven earthquakes, maybe every 10, 15, 20 years. Mm-hmm. It's a kind of common thing, but they're shallow enough that when they happen, they destroy a city. It's okay. not a region destroyer. It's like you take down San Francisco and just San Francisco and like Oakland is kind of okay. Okay, got it. But if you have one plate running into the other, if it's two continents, they crash together, you get giant, huge mountains as the Himalayas. Mm -hmm, But mm -hmm. if you have ocean and continent, then the ocean plate goes underneath. Right. So that's that's like the coastal subduction zone, right? Like in the Pacific Northwest? So that's the Pacific Northwest. That's uh, Japan. That's Chile. That's Alaska. That's Sumatra. Mm -hmm. Uh, The common theme of these is um, really, really big earthquakes, like mm-hmm. seven, eight, nines, mm-hmm. that are deep enough that they shake an entire region. My God, yeah. And on top of that, oh. because you have an ocean plate going underneath, the water in all that ocean sediment drops the melting temperature of the rock, so it creates magma, which then comes up and picks up silica in the continental crust, which traps the gas and wow. gives you incredibly violent volcanoes. Wow. So you get Mount St. Helens or Krakatoa or any of the other like big, beautiful, pointy, they look like a child's drawing of mm. a volcano. All of those are from subduction zones. So that's like ring of fire. Exactly. Gotcha. And we have this. So geology is a thoroughly filthy science in mm. that the technical jargon behind this is subduction leads to erogeny. Yeah, oh, it does. gosh. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Which means one plate going underneath another leads to mountain building through volcanics. Wow. That is, uh, that is quite literal in how we perceive it in different aspects of life. Goodness. Leads yeah. to eruptions mm-hmm. and things protruding from the earth. Yes. Yes. And the bed rocking. Uh, <laughs> so it's, as I said, geology, we're very, uh, we, we have great jargon. It's yes. amazing. Spectacular, really. <laughs> so what's going on with San Andreas, the movie, uh, is that they've taken these really big magnitude nine earthquakes uh-huh. that shake an entire huge region mm-hmm. because they're so deep. Yes. And that the shaking lasts, instead of like 30 seconds, it lasts like five minutes of severe shaking. And you have vertical displacement that can cause a tsunami Mm -hmm. because you need to have the water move. You need to have an up-down motion Mm -hmm. going on, Mm -hmm. all of which would be true in the Pacific Northwest. Great. Like, that is all things you'd expect from an earthquake near Seattle, Portland, Vancouver. All of us have that risk. Uh, Whereas San Francisco, side to side, 1906 earthquake or 1989 earthquake, or the Northridge earthquake in L.A. in 1994, all of those are side-to-side earthquakes. Right. They're bad. They're, they're scary. Yeah. They can collapse buildings and kill people, but it's contained inside a city, and, like, a lot of those deaths come from heart attacks. Really? Most common way to die in an earthquake is heart attack. You panic. I mean, people yeah. even panic and, like, leap from a third-story <sighs> building to try and escape the earthquake. So just stay calm. It's okay. Drop cover, hold on, and breathe. Well, and from what I understand, from what I understand about the 1906 earthquake too in San Francisco is that a substantial amount of, I think maybe more damage than even the quake itself was were the fires after the fact that started in uh, that annihilated the city. Exactly, yeah. and then you end up with like giant streets like Market Street and Venice that yeah. end up being huge fire breaks now, or you end up with things like in San Francisco. All of our major intersections mm-hmm. have um, water 
ponds underneath them. Mm -hmm. So that if we have a big earthquake and it breaks all our pipes, you can still do localized firefighting because that's the scariest thing after an earthquake is people panic, have a heart attack, (laughs) and you have ruptured utilities and all the fires start. Wow, two most linger, two yeah. most really fatally dangerous things in a heart attack: fires and heart attacks. Yeah, which, during an earthquake, fires and heart attacks. Which, like, yeah, you're probably not going to die from the buildings breaking. Which is the other, like, that's just in San Andreas the movie. They amp it up. We have all these buildings. All the buildings over fall. Yeah, destroyed. Whereas if you're in a building that was built like post 1980s, it's probably going to stay intact. Wow. I mean, if your building is before 1980s, I'm sorry, tough luck. Right. Well, even like, I mean, right. down here in LA, there's been a huge soft story retrofit thing happening, mm-hmm. um, which that was always the big risk. The, all the buildings that were built in like the 1960s, 1970s, your second floor is over this like sort of extended parking garage that is not well supported. Oh, mm-hmm. Yeah. And in the 94 quake, they all pancaked. Okay, yeah. Not ideal. Um, (laughs) But yeah, if you go, if you've been driving around LA recently, all these like buildings have been, the entire fronts have been gutted and you'll see the signs as soft story retrofit retrofit provided by. So even those, they're kind of working on it to try and make them not quite so deadly. Yeah, San Francisco hasn't quite reached that point yet. Instead, they just put up little notices saying in violation of building code. Oh, good. Okay. Yet another reason I'll never live in San Francisco. That sounds, having experienced the mass transit system of San Francisco for seven years, that sounds so fucking accurate for the state of San Francisco. Yeah. I'd also like to point out that in California, the hospitals are required to retrofit their buildings to seismic code. Yes. And are currently lobbying to just not have to do that. Well, look, you're already in the hospital. You know what you don't need after an earthquake? You don't need a hospital. Hospital. No. Not as long as we have the rock. You guys, we've watched, I think we can all say we've all watched Volcano. (laughs) The best best triage happens outside of a hard rock cafe. Yes. That's just, that's just a fact. What do you think they're building up the Beverly, Beverly Center for again, Amanda? That's right. We're getting ready for the big one we are overdue for. <laughs> I, I will be going directly to, in the event of an earthquake, like <laughs> my emergency plan is not to go to my parents' house. It's not to like shelter in place. Right. It's to go to the Beverly Center. That's why I moved closer to it recently. It's because I'm just going to assume, go to the Beverly Center um, because that's where all of the good triage will be happening. Yeah. And that's where all the stray children will be. Yeah, yeah. where who will we well, need, need to take care of? Here's a really fun thing. I can <laughs> get some pretty direct correlation on survival in major disasters and your sense of community. Mm-hmm. So oh, okay. if you really want to prepare for a disaster, like, yes, you should have a kit, you should have a plan, get your first aid training, all of these things we know we should do, but we're lazy and broken sheep and don't have space to put them. 100%. Says you. Or- <laughs> You can throw a lot of parties and oh, invite your neighbors, that is... and then you'll up your odds of survival by like ten percent. Wow! This podcast just like elevated from being like a fun time for people to listen to to like an ext- <laughs> critically useful information. And considering how much Amanda likes to remind people about the necessity of earthquake safety, love talking about earthquake kits. Yeah, like this is just this is such an intersection of Amanda Honest... of Amanda Smith. Well, interests. hold on, because the downside is is that it means I have to be social. And I'm not sure how I'm ready to deal with that. But I am now I'm like looking at my closet where my earthquake kit is. And I'm like, you're useless to me. (laughs) And then I look over to my fridge. I'm like, the beer in the fridge will be more useful. (laughs) And that's a real point of conflict for me, honestly. So I am going to point out that San Andreas, the movie, did a really good job of emphasizing that having those personal connections and sense of community leads to survival as we can see, you're right. In yes, the shitty boyfriend versus the new boyfriend. And, right. yeah, and, or 
in the ex-wife uh, running around with the friends and then them opening the door and falling to their death inside like the first two minutes. Terrible yep. Susan deserved it. <laughs> Kylie exactly. Minogue. No resilience there. I resent I, that this movie used Kylie Minogue for about one minute and then she was dead. I resent that we didn't get to watch her plunge to her death because she would have given us a great reaction shot. I, Ion Gafford plays the new man. Is that how you say his name? I could be Ian, could be Ion. What? Ion. I, I, I I thought it was Ian. I did not verify this. I did not fact check this. I apologize. Um, but he plays Carla Gugino's new man and the rock is her ex man. And the reason they are in the process of a divorce is because they were, they've been unable to weather the marriage following the death of a child during they were on a vacation. The rock took their daughter rafting <laughs> and she, she was killed. I'm sorry. I just, the, I kept waiting for the reveal of how she died, expecting it to be something pretty simple. Like she was in the ocean or something. The fact that it was white water rafting I mean, was of such an unexpected... Why was that? Of course Because it look be. at the size of this man. I think when he gets <laughs> off... Of, he sees a fucking rock. When he gets off the helicopter after he rescues a girl who drove off the side of a cliff in the beginning of the movie, I'm pretty sure the chief of the fire department calls him Godzilla. Yeah. I think he says like, what'd you get up to this time, Godzilla? It's like, I hope the rock wrote that into the script. Or he was like, and here's the part where someone calls me Godzilla in this movie. <laughs> so of course he's not just going to be like fly fishing with his kids. He's going to be taking them on action sports it just was a lot it was just an unexpected thing and there would me. also have to be something much more dramatic than just an undertow which are extremely dangerous to claim the child of the rock like it has True. to be an extreme circumstance where as he's finally grieving openly the death of their daughter with Carla Gugino in a touching moment the moment when you know they're going to get back together and you're like this is the best um she says to him if you couldn't have saved her no one could and that is the realest thing if the if the rock if your fire and rescue father the rock couldn't do it literally god himself could not have reached down and intervened to save you and it had to be something, it could not have been an undertow because an undertow is really easily defeated it's with true. the most basic emergency response knowledge, which <laughs> is don't try and fight it, just swim sideways. There, That's it. Maybe That's how you defeat an undertow, swim sideways. Okay. Done. Great. And if daughter number two knows this, then like... Yep. Maybe Blake became the, the a survivalist. child had to know like <laughs> basic emergency preparedness. Yeah, maybe maybe he leaned hard in harder into yeah. emergency preparedness after he lost the one when he was like, Blake, you're going to know about rotary phones. Yeah. In the event we lose phone lines, you're going to know about all of these safety and survival things. You're going to know how to remove a piece of glass from a man's thigh and that if he keeps it in his thigh, it'll shred his muscles more. Like I would have just been like, dude, keep it. I don't know. What are we doing with that? One of, one of the best parts in this movie is when like Blake's like we need to get to this point of hire well first of all let's say that like the the boy she, the guy she meets who is handsome is interviewing for a job at her stepdad stepdad's architecture firm soon to be stepdad um, and he has his little brother with him. They're both very charming and British. And his little brother is a very precocious traveler. And he basically has his Rick Steves guide that's got their whole pl- whole trip wired out end to end. It seems like in the Bay Area. And he tells them, he's like, we've got to get to the high ground. Knob Hill is the highest point in the city. And that is inaccurate. Twin Peaks is the highest point in San Francisco. Yeah. That was, and it was like a useless thing to have be inaccurate. Yeah. It could have been like, it's the highest point we can reach quickly. Exactly. It's the nearest hilltop. It would have made, but it hey, would have been totally accurate to say the closest highest point is Knob Hill because that was in fact from where they were allegedly around North Beach Chinatown that would have been the highest point to get to they didn't even have to call it the highest point in the city 
yeah, those are the things that always annoy me are the ones where you're like, okay, so you could have made this accurate with like yes. one tiny tweak. Yes. But I mean, overall, I will roll with anything this movie has to give me because it has so much good disaster preparedness advice where if you watch this movie and then you experience an earthquake, mm-hmm. you will probably survive. Except it has one tip that would kill you. Oh. And that pisses me off. We need to know what this tip is. Yeah. So... When The Rock reaches San Francisco and they decide to huddle near Candlestick Park, pardon me, it's AT&T. Yeah, right. Yes, AT&T Park. Yeah. It was Candlestick when I was a kid. It's Candlestick Forever. Yes. Uh, Recom Park, whatever it is now. (laughs) And he decides to list the Triangle of Life myth. Okay. So this is a thing where they're like, oh, if a building collapses... You want to be where all the like the things lean against each other, so there's a tiny little triangle of survival. I don't, I don't even know what it's supposed to mean. Because, <laughs> like, it doesn't make sense from how buildings collapse, right? Like, right. It just doesn't. You don't end up with triangular spaces underneath. Just look at any pile of rubble. Any pile like of rubble. Jenga. Like, just just screw up a game of Jenga and see how the blocks fall. Do yep. you see little triangle hi- hiding places? No. <laughs> Congratulations. There's your lack of triangle of life. Like, pay pickup sticks. Um, anything. I don't care what. Just play anything where things fall down. Right. So there's that problem. Okay. Then you've got the problem of, okay, so we've really been working on our building codes. Mm-hmm. Like, 1989 Loma Prieta was a big deal. And we figured out how buildings break since then. And right. yes, we're constantly iterating still. And we're figuring out new things with high rises. And every time we have a really big earthquake, we figure it out better. But... If you want to look at all the places in the world that have the best technology to monitor it, the most in-depth investigations, the highest level of modeling, Uh and the most money to do something about it, look at Silicon Valley. True. If you want to know where the money is. Right. They've even got amazing geohazards insurance companies there, which are the same (laughs) ones that know what's happening with climate change better than anybody but the military. Right. Just look to who has the money and who would like to live. (laughs) (laughs) Look at the region of people working to live for infinity who are obsessed with life extension and have more money than God. (laughs) Silicon Valley CEOs. I will flat out say the place I would like to be if there's a major catastrophe is Disneyland. But failing that, I will take Pixar. I will take Google headquarters. I would take Apple. Like, I have been in these buildings. I have looked around and gone, yep, this is where I'd like to be. Thank you. That (laughs) makes, like, I hadn't thought of that, but it makes so much sense. Oh, if you ever have the opportunity to tour these buildings, you will see what I mean in an instant. I like, genuinely believe Disney big, has early warning systems, just, <laughs> yeah. personally. Disney has its own fire department. Yeah. It's I've met the woman who runs emergency management for the entirety of the all of Disney Corp, like wow. yeah. the entire global one. Wow. I wish desperately I was allowed to interview her, but Disney PR does not like the word disaster. And then <laughs> the same sentence, even no if you're like, joke. they're very good at it. Uh-huh. But just the levels and levels of emergency planning they have going on and how much preparedness and resilience there is, is just like what happens when you have an all powerful dictatorship Mm -hmm, with a mm -hmm. lot of money whose objective is for everybody to be happy. Yep. And 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 to avoid liability at, at, at any cost. Well, then they wouldn't be happy. Right. They want you to be happy. Yeah. 
I uh, know. I have he, often thought that we should put Imagineers in charge of city planning. Oh, for sure. To solve traffic. Well, Look you at put the imagine. He, I was gonna say you put the. That's the Grove. The, yeah, yeah. The, uh, I call it. Dis, I call the Grove Disneyland the mall. It, yeah, so that's, that makes total sense. That's how I describe it to customers when they're like, "Should we go to the Grove?" And I was like, "Well, do you want to go shopping? But it's Disneyland, and there's no rides except for a trolley." And they're like, "Sure." And I'm like, "Then yes, yes." Well, and, and like no, no, no traffic system I don't know on the planet Earth is more genius than waiting in lines in Disneyland. Yeah. They could make traffic on the 405 fun well, if you let them organize it. Well, that's why if you, I don't know if you've ever driven down by Anaheim, but it's amazing because you're on the 405, which is a horrible freeway. Yeah, horrible. And you hit the Anaheim city line and all of a sudden like all the cars just disappear and you're the only car on the road <laughs> and it is like driving on velvet. <laughs> And your car becomes cleaner. The sun is brighter. I don't know what they do with that freeway, but it is the most, it is the most magical freeway on earth. And it's because Disney, it's, it's, it's for the Disney exits essentially. And you just, it is the most, I recommend doing it just to have that experience. Honestly, (laughs) make sure you drive to Disneyland if you're going, you guys. Yeah. Just, just to, just to go through that just once in your life. Now I have I have a question. We mentioned sort of like mentioning preparedness and proactivity. There is a point in this movie where, thank God, Paul Giamatti in this movie is oh. playing a geologist because a wonderful actor with perfect timing and holds just the right amount of dramatic tension yeah. in his line deliveries. Him at the beginning of the movie, him and a ge- geologist who quickly dies um, at the Hoover Dam because that's really where we get our sort of first taste of true disaster in this movie. <laughs> Which is is wow. <laughs> the only reason it happened there was because they were like, we want a really good set piece and they went Hoover Dam. That's exactly it. There was no other reason because there's no reason. There was no reason for it to be there. I mean like they kind of say that Okay, so they well, talked it's because about, they're saying there's a new is there a new fault well, we, so we don't know thing. about. There's a def they, they're saying it's a deformation event and briefly I thought I don't know um so the San Andreas fault over millions of years has migrated. Sure. Um and it is actually like either there's like a theory I or there's a hypothesis about this. I don't know if it's still accurate. This was something my teacher talked about a lot when I was in school and I I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but but Mika, just to give you back, I have two thirds of a geology degree. Yeah. Um I basically dropped out um right when I had done all my other classes except for chemistry f- one round of chemistry physics b and then calculus um and then I I never went back so two th- I have just enough geology to be like dangerous and not enough to be useful um but yeah they my teacher one of my professors was talking about how the San Andreas fault they think have has migrated over mm-hmm. the years okay um and and so I was like, maybe they're going to have it like jump to the new fault and the new fault plate boundary is going to end up being like running through Las Vegas and the Hoover Dam. And mm-hmm. But they kind of abandon everything happening over in the Hoover Dam. Yeah, they, but it's a great set piece. It's, they, I don't care. They introduce the concept of this, like, do we have an undiscovered fault line once everything starts revolving around the San Andreas Fault? So my question is, it, are we going to discover new fault lines or do do we just know where they are at this point? Like, is it possible <laughs> that there are fault lines we have not fucking found yet oh so many yeah. so many okay so many but everywhere all the time on oh, that scale to, would it be on that sc- kind of sad about the hoover dam situation is that they miss the opportunity to have a sesh so a sesh is possibly my favorite weird niche disaster oh have you ever um gone sat in the bathtub and swished back and forth and back and forth and back and forth until it made a bigger and bigger and bigger wave and collapsed over the side yeah or like a small yeah. child's pool, yeah. 
Yeah, that it takes about a half a second frequency, one one second frequency if you're in a, a normal size bathtub. Mm. That's called a sesh. You can make oh. one in your your glass by tapping on the side of it at, by about a quarter, a uh, quarter of a second. But what the idea is, is that everything has a resonance frequency, mm-hmm. just like swinging on a swing, strumming a guitar, whatever. Okay. But with fluids, you can figure out what the resonance frequency is. And sometimes earthquakes match, huh. like the frequency of the earthquake matches the frequency of a location. Okay. Uh, so it's not uncommon to get like swimming pool sessions after an earthquake in Southern California. Oh, those right. are cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've seen those videos. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, or uh, there's a species of highly endangered fish, the desert pupfish. I um, I know an that, entire I I fact checked a feature about the Devil's Hole pupfish when I worked at Wired magazine. Yeah, that only get it on after there's been an earthquake to shake loose the sediment. Wild. So they require having a sesh in order to get frisky. What? Um, or that the uh, 1960s Alaska earthquake, although it created a tsunami that was local. It was it was a small tsunami by the time it got down to like Portland and all of that. But okay. when it reached Hawaii, it was the exact right frequency that it resonated inside Hilo Bay, Hawaii, and created a bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger wave. Whoa. And like it like it lured out the school children to look at the water pulled back from the ocean floor, then came and killed them all. It's a horrible story. Whoa. Uh, there's these like seriously terrifying photos of all the parking meters bent down so they're parallel with the ground, but they could have done a sesh inside the Hoover Dam. What? And they could wow. have had like a little miniature tsunami contained inside the dam set off by that first earthquake. That would oh, have been great. Do it. That is a hell of a missed opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. Particularly yeah. because with dams, you have a choice of how you're going to engineer them. Either oh. you can engineer them to withstand earthquakes so they don't crack and crumble, mm. or you can engineer them to withstand overtopping. And for the most part, in all of these highly seismically active areas, mm-hmm. like California, mm-hmm. we design them so they can withstand shaking, yeah. so it wouldn't actually crumble. But if it sets off a sash or it sets off a landslide and the falling rocks into the water set off a sash, yeah. then you have that overtopping water and then it collapses. So you have that, we're safe, we're safe, we're safe. Oh, everything is terrible. Wow. You're, and they missed that. Well, and that would have, I, I feel like the, the reason I, I feel the loss of this now acutely is because one of my favorite things about San Andreas is that to me it is a perfect disaster movie and that the disasters are constant but different. Like we start out with the Vegas, we start out with the, the Hoover Dam collapse. Then we go to the Los Angeles earthquake. Then we go to the big San Francisco earthquake. Then the bigger San Francisco earthquake. Then the tsunami. And it just keeps being a new disaster the entire time. And we could have had a totally different disaster look had they taken advantage of this. Yeah, we could have had Paul Giamatti running away from water, (laughs) which would have been really great. Like watching Paul Giamatti yell, it's a sesh, and then (laughs) like waving his arms and running off the uh, the edge would have been really fun. You're so right. He could have yelled that and then explained it to Archie Punjabi Punjabi later. And that could have been a great teachable moment. I, I have to say, I love so much how Caltech somehow features almost in this movie like Spawn Con. Like, yeah, there's that part where they're like deciding that they're going to we have to let everybody know, like the L.A. quake is hit. The Caltech geologist team is like, we've got to let the world know, but all of our communications abilities are down or something. So they're going to hack into like a TV network to broadcast their message about you got to prepare San Francisco. And 
Paul Giamatti, like Archie Punjabi, the, the reporter or documentarian is like, how can, you know, like, can we do that? And he just looks at her and goes, this is Caltech. It's <laughs> like, wait, did we get university funding from this movie for San Andreas? Caltech is actually Wayne Corp. Not many people know <laughs> yeah. this about Caltech. For I mean, extra bonus irony on this. Some of the science consultants that were that talked on this movie were not from Caltech. <laughs> like that had to be so insulting. There's even a moment where they zoom in on a room placard that just says like 103 because there's a Caltech insignia on it. It's not there's nothing yeah. special about what that room says other than we're just like this Caltech baby. <laughs> Where they teach intro to geology classes, apparently, because he's just in the beginning when we meet Paul Giamatti, he's explaining like the largest earthquakes that ever occurred. Yes. So intro to Caltech at, at uh, intro to geology at Caltech. And, and how- I would also like to point out, we said they were all geologists, but if they're doing earthquake work, they're geophysicists. True. He is a geophysicist. You know? geophysicist. Like he is a geophysicist. Me. Yes. You're right. You, yeah, nobody knows you would know better than anyone. <laughs> Yeah, Paul Giamatti. Nobody knows what geophysicist is. It's very sad and tragic. Well, we know that disaster movies prize geologists over any other. Yeah, what we found is that geologists in disaster movies can do any number of things that no geologist should be able to do. Right. Like, we we watched Airplane versus Volcano, Mm -hmm. which you can skip it. (laughs) Um, And in it, the geologist hacks the seat back phone to turn it into a radio. Yeah. Did you, do you know? I would like to point out, that is a geophysics skill. Is that it? Is that really a thing yes. geophysics physicists can so, do? Allow me to tell you what a geophysicist is, because I am bitter and angry we about it. We clearly need to know, and clearly so do many also, screenwriters. I'm kind of angry now that none of my friends who are geophysicists <laughs> could have told me they can do these things. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that yeah, geophysicists no, were built, magicians. <laughs> I have built a missile guidance system out of an Xbox for homework. <laughs> Oh my what? God, this was an origin story. And we it's being more and more confirmed all the time. Oh my God. So what a geophysicist is, is like a mix of James Bond villain and <laughs> MacGyver. <laughs> wow. It's the whole purpose is you want to figure out what's underneath the ground without touching it. Right. Okay. Sounds a little bit like an annoying older sibling. <laughs> but what that looks like in practice is you put out all of these sensors and it can be a three dimensional microphone, a geophone. Uh, it can be metal pegs. It can be whatever. Yeah. And then you do something to provoke the planet. So right. you can, which sounds um, like the premise for a disaster movie. We provoked exactly. the planet. Exactly. You push a big red button and you set off dynamite and there's a huge explosion. Yeah. You push a big red button and it zaps 2,400 volts of electricity into the earth. Whatever. Yeah. You yeah. do something to create a signal. That signal goes through the earth. It comes back up at your various little reception points and you go, oh, look, it changed. I wonder what was different. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But because you're doing this all outdoors with extremely accurate, high precision, fragile equipment, it all breaks. All yeah. the time. <laughs> like there's rain. There's bears. Like the number of times yeah. bears have eaten parts of my equipment. Is just, <laughs> this I, suddenly, I cannot even list them all. This suddenly I confirms have, the gripe in Stonados of the scientists with the chief government property that they're using. Apparently, it does shit just breaks when you're out there. Oh, all the time. Okay. All the time. All right. It's constantly breaking. And you have to constantly repair it with whatever you have in your pockets. And you can pull like the Terry Pratchett witches thing of having like really cool shit in your pockets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, 
you're sitting there trying to diagnose why your generator doesn't work and you've got like a roll of electrical tape and a light bulb and you're like, well, <laughs> guess I'm going to build a voltmeter out of this. I wonder if I pull my bobby pins out and do it. Like, <laughs> so you're always trying to like glue together all these things that should not work together uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. at all. Yeah. In order to rebuild your equipment or to work around because you're going like every day you're down is a half million dollars. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, it's already broken. What's going to happen? It's going to get broken worse. Who cares? Right, like, right, right, right. Like what we have do nothing I need to lose to, do to make this work. Yeah. So you come up with all sorts of terrible, horrible things you should never be able to do. Like, <laughs> oh, well, I have a handheld radio that I desperately need to be able to call the radio pickup, but I need a radio source to be able to send down a signal so I can measure how thick the glacier is. Eh, the helicopter is going to come looking for me eventually. <laughs> wow. I mean, what, what I'm learning from this is that Blake is truly a superhero. Blake and San Andreas is truly a superhero. We just didn't, perhaps my greatest regret now of San Andreas is that we didn't get enough opportunities to see her hacking survival situations for us to see the extent of her survival knowledge. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And that like all the grad students just stayed in the office when you're like, (laughs) Oh no. Oh no. That is not what happened. Did you see what happens during the Ridgecrest earthquake? Did you see how many physicists like, Led out into the desert. Yeah, they, you, you an earthquake happens and geophysicists scatter immediately to it. It's like turning the lights on for a cockroach, except they're all running toward. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I mean, volcanologists have the the shortest lifespan of any scientist because they're all on the sides of volcanoes when they right. erupt. I mean, part of why I'm a landslide researcher is because I'm like, okay, so I show up after it happens. Got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Like. I wait for the half million cubic meters to come sliding down when the <laughs> earth suddenly decides to be a, a fluid and just like go for it. Yeah, yeah. And, like, no, yeah, I just have to oh. worry about the bears. Hold on. <laughs> Speaking of earth acting like a fluid, the one thing that I was bummed we didn't get was we didn't get any liquefaction in this. I just like hearing Amanda say liquefaction. And I feel yeah. like we should have gotten more liquefaction in it. I think that would have been really fun. <laughs> we really should have. And again, so this is visual effects I would like to see in yeah. movies, not in real life. Huh. Um, so first of all, the liquefaction. So sound, liquefaction is is like the geological equivalent of oatmeal. If you shake a bowl of oatmeal and like the the milk rises to the top. Oh, okay. That's what happens anytime you have saturated sediments, mm. which is like, you know, a beach or a river. Right. Or okay. Most of San Francisco, an entire like an entire bay where we dumped a bunch of sand. Right. right, yeah, where the marina is waiting to slip into the sea at any moment in time. Yeah, so if you shake it hard enough, and all the, that settles and compacts and liquefies, then you could have like old ancient shipwrecks poking out of the the ground. Wow, which would be so fun. That would be rad. <laughs> that would be That's, so rad. Yeah. Now also. Uh, deeply disappointed we did not get to see the tsunami hit LA so a tsunami when it's an open ocean is like only a couple of inches tall but is traveling like jet airliner speeds right but when it comes closer to shore it bunches and and uh gets taller just mm-hmm. like a normal a wind wave does it's right. called shoaling but so it's slowing down to like highway speeds <laughs> well the port of Long Beach in Los Angeles is the largest port on the entire western coastline with oh. tens of millions of cargo containers wow. every day. And L.A. Basin is very flat. Yeah. And you could just pick up all those cargo t- containers and chuck them across the L.A. Basin at highway speed. My God. Yeah. 
And that is the thing I would love to see in visual effects and not in real life. <laughs> yeah, no, that please, exclusively. Yeah. But frequently. I did love that they managed to work a cargo. I thought the use of a cargo container in this. This is what I'm saying about, about like, it's it's just, it's catastrophe on catastrophe, just yeah. like stacking up. And you, like, you see them. I love that that sequence of all of the boats in the San Francisco Bay being like, fuck, we have to get over the tsunami. Yeah. And that wide shot of them all racing toward it is amazing. The, the rock going directly vertical Do- up a tsunami and when you think like yes. oh my god all they have to do is crest this tsunami and that's bad enough and then a cargo ship goes over the horizon and fucking tops over the wave grounds on the in the floor of the bay enough to flip it onto the golden gate bridge yeah incredible i well the wave is it. the wave was t- as was at least 300 feet tall because i was like how tall is the golden gate bridge okay and it's, that wave is over 200 feet tall. <laughs> the rock drives directly up it. <laughs> yes. And the, then so fights a cargo container. I have like a love-hate relationship with that tsunami. Okay. Yeah. So things that I love. A tsunami is more than one wave. Yes. Okay. A, the first wave is not necessarily the biggest wave. Right. Fantastic. We've got several waves and they keep getting bigger. That's cool. We okay. can have it either way. Um. And that it looks like a, a rapidly rising wall of water. Mm-hmm, Fantastic. Yeah. All of those I love. The things I do not love is the wave breaks, which, yeah. quite honestly, we do not have any shoreline steep enough in the entire world to be a mm. breaking crest for a tsunami. We just don't. Got it. Okay. It also, there's a problem in that a tsunami needs water. And San Francisco Bay is very shallow. Yeah. Like, it's only, like, 15 feet deep in some places. That's wild. So, like, you have to dredge channels through it in order to have shipping. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, it's it's very temporary. The San Francisco Bay (laughs) will not exist in, like, a few thousand years. It's (laughs) infilled mud. Yeah, yeah. Unless we keep messing with it. So, it's a... It's too big of a wave to be in San Francisco. But if you just take the viewpoint that they stole everything from the Pacific Northwest, suddenly it makes more sense because you could have it in a fjord. Right. You're inside a fjord, a glacier cup valley. Like we know fjords from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And and from from the movie from the movie The Wave that we recently talked about on the podcast. Have have you seen the Norwegian film The Wave? Because if you haven't, you should watch it. I have not, and now it's going on it's, my list. And it's on it's um, on Hulu? Yes. So okay. very easily accessible and based on, like, real yeah, projected... It's, it's based on an actual fjord in Norway where they're expecting there to be a rock slide and um, that the rock slide will displace enough water that it will end up sending an 80-meter high um, tsunami down a fjord directly into a town. Yeah. Oh! Yeah. So there's some real-life scenarios that directly mimics... Um, like the Vaillant Dam in Italy okay. that broke and then just destroyed the whole town. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, but So we have fjords all up in the Pacific Northwest because yeah. anywhere you had glaciers carved out these beautiful U-shaped valleys. Mm-hmm. If you've got these beautiful U-shaped valleys, then you can have those sesh, those resonance waves. You can have the first tsunami wave comes in, it comes out, it clashes, you have constructive interference and you start getting bigger and bigger and bigger waves. And then you could get like this ridiculously tall tsunami. Yeah, yeah. So if we're just going to keep going with the premise that uh, San Francisco is actually Portland. Right. Sure. And it's wearing like a disguise cloak. 
Yes. Where they're like, we just need to make <clears throat> Portland look more familiar. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's too beloved. We can't destroy Powell's books. For but we sure. Can take a point tower, no problem. Yeah. Well, and also, oh. you can't fly a helicopter all the way up to Portland. That's just ridiculous. <laughs> you can absolutely, like, I fully believe that The Rock can steal an airplane without consequence, or a helicopter without consequence. Yeah. I don't believe that one that The Rock could steal a helicopter, but I believe that he will never see consequences for it. No. But he theoretically, he is going to fly a helicopter all the way up to San Francisco, and he can't fly it up to to Portland. So now I do I do have a question about like because at the very beginning of this, like the reason we like uh, the ascend, the beginning part where we meet uh, geo geophysicist perhaps Paul Giamatti um, is him and his assistant are working on a earthquake prediction tool and what they have determined in their logic is that if they can if magnetic detectable magnetic pulse rates increase uh that is foreshadowing that an earthquake will follow soon after did any of that mean anything or was that just like total bullshit we're just going to mash up terms like magnetic pulse and earthquake and say that we can make a predictive tool in some far-flung scenario that was a theory that was tested and failed. Got it. Okay. Okay. So it, it so comes from somewhere. Look, yeah. We are constantly looking for a way to be able to more accurately forecast when an earthquake is going to happen. And right now we do have earthquake early warning systems mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they are in beta for California. Uh, we're getting them in the Pacific Northwest really soon. I am so freaking excited for this. Great. But the way they work is they detect the P wave, the pressure wave, the primary wave, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it sends out an alert. So this is already happening in Japan. If you've ever watched earthquake footage of Japan, if mm. you ever see a screen that's got like this countdown to doom happening, right. and then the shaking starts, that's the P wave detection. And then they go, this is how long until you have the S wave, the secondary wave, the shear wave, mm. which is everything wiggling back and forth. Got it. And then after that, you have all the surface waves, the love waves, um, all the things that are like rolling of the ground. If you have a really big earthquake, it can even make you feel seasick. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But that that primary wave, that P wave is the warning sign. So that's what we currently have. And it can give you, depending how far away you are from the epicenter, it can give you like 30 seconds, maybe a minute warning. Okay. Which doesn't sound like very much until you start thinking about things like, what if you're pouring a boiling water for a cup of tea right, yeah, in your okay. kitchen full of all those cupboards of really sharp china and like yeah. glasses that are going to fall on your head? Yeah. What if you're shaving in the shower with <laughs> a sharp blade? Yeah. What if you're putting in contact lenses? Oh, God. What if, what if you're driving and you had 30 seconds to pull over to the side of the road? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like. There's a lot of ways where I'm like, I want 30 seconds warning. Right, I yeah. I'll take that. Yeah, like, I'll, I'll take that. Even if you're in something like in the middle of open heart surgery, yeah, you cannot close <laughs> up an entire surgery, but you can like take your hand out so your yeah. scalpel isn't right next to an artery. You can take like, the knives out of a human body. Yeah. <laughs> like 30 seconds is a lot. And now, when you were, we're since we're transposing Portland, the Pacific Northwest, and and the, the San Francisco Bay Area and California generally, now because they're saying like this, it's a the the biggest quake that hit San Francisco in this movie is a nine point six, and would a nine point like would the damage have been worse? Like the wide shots I see of San Francisco in this, and then knowing it's a nine point six, I was like, this is devastation. Would there be anything left? But from what you guys were saying about retrofitting, the buildings might actually well, well no, maybe not, they're in not San retrofitted for nine point six. Everything's That's retrofitted for like 
but it's also would I mean, there be anything standing in that San Francisco no, Peninsula well, at a nine point six? The roads were shockingly intact, by the way. Yes, yes. There's also a small problem, which is they talk about Richter magnitude yeah. in this. <laughs> it was it's Mercalli use since before I was born. <laughs> uh so Richter was a magnitude scale for earthquakes. It was developed in order to be able to assess small earthquakes in California. Mm. And it just doesn't work if you try and look at really big earthquakes. Huh. So instead, we use moment, moment magnitude instead, moment or Mercalli moment magnitude, something like that. Wow. And that's when we're talking about whatever magnitude of an earthquake. We're not talking Richter ever. Got it. The only reason we've been you know living a lie, the us pedestrians. Yeah. It's because newscasters say it all the time because they're like, hey, it's a cool science word I it remember is. from the 1970s. Yeah. <laughs> and we see like, it in great. the movie. We yeah. see it in the picture shows all the time. It's the Richter scale. It's the Richter Yeah. Wow. But exactly. It's not Richter. It doesn't <clears throat> exist. Just just let that go. Just call it magnitude. It's just magnitude. Yeah. So I thought. We, oh, sorry. We have seen a magnitude 9.5 earthquake. It was 1960 in Chile, and it was, like, massively devastating. But Chile had a few itsy-bitsy, teeny-tiny problems with massive corruption. So they had a building code, and then they'd do things like, oh, yes, this is totally a rebar-reinforced pillar. (laughs) When you actually looked inside, it was a stack of 50-gallon drums covered in concrete. Yeah, it was just fucking sawdust and glue. Exactly. So they had this huge earthquake. They had massive devastation, massive loss of life from it. And then they had an entire new batch of politicians who came in under, like, the campaign of, oh, fuck this shit. We are having real seismic codes and we are enforcing it. Great. Which was fantastic because then they had another really big set of earthquakes in, I think, like 2014. And it was like Mag 9 earthquakes. And they're like, eh, whatevs, no big deal. Yeah. Like, literally the only deaths were things like a, a five-foot-tall wall collapsed and killed somebody. <laughs> you hate like, to see it. Exactly. You're just like, excuse me, that that's kind of on you. <laughs> that That's your garden wall. Just make it three-foot-tall. Like, now, I, I feel like I have raised a lot of questions here. Amanda, is there anything burning on your mind that we've not gotten to yet? No, I mean, this has been fun to listen to. I, I, my, my only thoughts, like I loved in terms of the earthquake itself when it hits LA was downtown, like there's this great, um, they do this thing called shakeout every year, which is California, basically like California does a pre- earthquake preparedness thing. And a couple of years ago, they did a video of basically, so the San Andreas fault, they're, where it ruptures on the in the movie is it ruptures in the southern end and mm-hmm. then it kind of rips upward, which is supposed right. to happen. Yeah, okay, like unzips the yeah. world. That's basically that's what they like. They kind of the scenario that they're always operating under. And if you watch it go through the L.A. basin, it just is increasingly horrifying because the L.A. basin basically like works like a bathtub. It's it, it's it's chaos. <laughs> it works like a bathtub and what ends up happening so the entire LA basin is just like filled with basically loose sand. Uh-huh. uh-huh. And then um Now are you referring right now to the wide shot where we see like all of LA yeah, and it's kind of, okay and it's panning kind of over the city yeah. toward downtown. Okay. But and then and downtown in particular yeah. like that whole area is so screwed. <laughs> um more so than other areas like some it was like certain areas are going to have be more strongly affected than others, even though they're not necessarily closer to the fault because of what the rock or the, the underlying ground is. Yeah. And the 
basically the earthquake waves are going to bounce off of the mountains ricochet back oh god yeah oh god so with downtown i was initially i was watching and i was like doing the math in my head i'm like is that really gonna be that not the literal math but like, I was like is it gonna be that? and then i stopped and thought about remember the the shake map and i was like oh right <laughs> it's all red on the shake map the shake yeah, map it's, it's totally so i keep a list of all the places where if if there was a ridiculously sadistic creator who had a geology geological engineering degree and placed cities in yeah. the worst possible locations, where would those locations wow. be? LA Basin is one of them, for sure. <laughs> yeah, like Mexico City is by far the yeah. worst place oh. in the entire world for earthquakes. It is so bad. It is one of the biggest like, cities in the entire world. <laughs> yeah, and it's so bad, it took us decades to figure out that some earthquakes were actually taking place elsewhere, but were bigger in Mexico City than they were at their point of origin. Oh my God. <laughs> it's like, yeah. it is beyond sadistic. People know but this. LA is pretty freaking LA bad. Is, yeah. This whole like bathtub scenario. It's literally like you had a bathtub full of oatmeal and then somebody took a giant hammer and started whacking on the outside of it. Yeah, except it that, that oatmeal, like a bell. that big bowl of oatmeal is, is, is the homes. Yeah. In the, in the like, building. That's oh my it. God. And then tiny houses of cards on top of that oatmeal and you're just like ah, oh yeah. my god so that's why when i'm when you're watching downtown just like implode it's like well that's not not the case maybe not to the degree like i don't watching yeah like they amped it up yeah. but the basic concept works like they took yeah. the concept and just like dialed it up. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. So you're welcome. Well, that's very uh, if thrilling. You'd like to look at the shake maps. There are breakdowns on the USGS website. You oh, I'm going to link it um, when we post the podcast for sure. Yeah. There's actually, oh, this is an amazing thing. If anybody is inclined towards doing like GIS things, there's something put out by FEMA called Hazus MH, Hazards Multi Hazus Multi Hazard. Uh -huh. And what you do is you load it into your GIS program. And then it's like Sim City on constant disaster mode. Oh and my you load god! In like your city um, building inventory, you can load in your census map. You can load in your critical infrastructure, like power plants and hospitals or whatever. And then you go earthquake there. Oh god! Happens, or you can do like flood, flood, my precious, and see what actually happens to your real life city. And then you can so send Godzilla in, yeah. just like the Sims. It's good. It's Great. It's fantastic. <laughs> um, so it's this really amazing tool for emergency management. But yeah, you can totally like take drop a magnitude nine something earthquake in California. Ignore the fact that California is not getting mag nine earthquakes. That's a relief. And have this sort of scenario of like what happens if you just amp everything up. Yeah. So now I, I would I would like to to move into I feel like my field of expertise in this matter was I would like to gauge your guys's level of reality indexing on some of the emotional aspects of this film. OK. Some of the character aspects. How do we feel? I really like the cast chemistry of this movie and it kind of makes me feel like the dynamics themselves. I'm like, yes, these feel like they operate within good rules. I love how. Oh, yeah. I love it. I yeah. love it. I, I like that casting directors know like I like that Ian Griffad or however you say his name. I love that he knows like who where his zone is and his yes. zone is just scumbag dude. Yeah, you like, like Daniel you... Daniel on multiple occasions. Daniel starts off as the nice guy yeah. because he's the new husband he's gonna be the new future husband. Yeah. He's gonna take Blake, the daughter, up to school in his private jet. Yep. 
Then he says something about his buildings being his children. Yeah. He's then like, he abandons her in a parking garage <laughs> she to be him, crushed to death. She asks him, like, why did you never have kids? And he says, I think it's because I was always raising these. And then we, of course, find out later because his, he is that his, actor. Yeah. It's because he has no paternal instincts whatsoever and he's a craven bastard. Yeah. He, he was and raising his middle penises. Like his buildings break. No, yeah. his buildings are terrible. He it, like he absolutely built Salesforce Tower. Yeah. Like let's, I think we can all agree on that, Which right? Is like constantly tipping. Yeah. Like it's it's if I want to be at Disneyland during a disaster, I do not want to be in Salesforce Tower. That and nowhere nearby either. And it also looks like a giant penis sticking out of the middle of San Francisco. It's a failure on every level. Well, here's the thing with bad buildings. <laughs> so first of all, bad buildings kill people. But, like, they don't just kill themselves. It's they sway and they smash the buildings nearby. Yeah. So everybody nearby is screwed. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Particularly because how fast the building sways has to do with, um, in part, with its height. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Like, there's a couple other things as well. But if you've got the tallest building around... That means you're going to sway at a different frequency than everyone else, mm. which means you're going to smash into them. Yep. It's so like it's a giant swinging pendulum dick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which sounds like capitalism. <laughs> so that makes exactly. sense. Helicoptered around and smash into all the buildings nearby. <laughs> I, I love that. I, I love the like th- the manner of ways in which. I love the manner of ways in which we, well, A, we get to see Rock be sad dad in this. Oh, like, yeah. I love how much this family tells each other I love you throughout this whole movie. It warms my heart at every turn. And we get to see the Rock save people via helicopter, uh, uh, via like aquatic, like he swims and saves a person. He dives from a, an, an airplane. Mm-hmm. And I what I love about the diving from the airplane is they can't land. They've taken a plane from around Bakersfield and they're flying from Southern California up to San Francisco to save Blake. Carla and the Rock are. And they have no place to put this plane down in or near the city. So, so he, he... Yeah, the Rock's like, fuck it, we're going to skydive out of this thing. And for some reason into AT&T Park. Yeah, so that's where you would hey, skydive. it's flat, clear ground. You're right. Yeah. I mean, what I love about that is that in order to hit the point where the highway doesn't work, you have to very temporarily put a hold on physics. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so you can't get a crevasse like that from an earthquake. You can't get like a gaping pit in yeah. the ground. The San Andreas because, Fault like, opens up and splits the world into a gap that's like a hundred feet across. So they not only they screw no. up physics, they also, that's not, like, I, I paused and I was like, where are they? Because I've done... <laughs> I have done this drive, like yeah. the drive up to San Francisco and back a lot, yeah. like as have you. But then I am like, like I have done that drive a lot with also being like, I want to go see where the San Andreas Fault is at this stretch of highway. Yeah, because why wouldn't you do that as a tourist? Yes, and I was like, where are they? And I did like I kept I trying to figure it out. Allegedly in no Bakersfield. No, allegedly. No, they're not. So here's the but thing. That's what at they that say. point, they have already but because totally not. They're yeah. not at that point. They've actually crossed the San Andreas Fault. <laughs> they're actually on like they're closer to the 101. <laughs> um, I actually like was trying to figure this out, and they're they're closer to the 101 because they're going up to King City. Okay, and that's on the 101. So they, the San Andreas Fault in this movie, as far as I can tell. <laughs> In this one little stretch runs east-west. That's what I was wondering. I think it runs east-west. I think you're right about that. And so I was just so, like, but also it's not physically possible to have a crevasse. Sorry. <laughs> so this is, we need to have like a quick detour into the physics of faults. Okay. So a fault, like when we have these big named faults, like the San Andreas Fault, mm-hmm. 
we're talking about both like an individual like little line yeah, where okay. the plate tectonics are meeting, but we're also talking about a fault zone. So like this entire area is kind of crumpled. Like Got if you it. took silicone and you stretched it, it has all those little lines on it. So you're going to have a whole bunch of little teeny tiny faults. Mm-hmm. And if you've got enough of them and you have like the North American plate and you have the Pacific plate and those two are like big, huge, solid things and they're grinding against each other. Yeah, you're going to have a lot of tears and sometimes maybe some of them are going to go east-west. There is like a pretty big east-west fault vaguely. It's south of Bakersfield. Okay. Like it's actually more like it kind of runs from Santa Barbara out into the Mojave Desert. There's an east-west fault there. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're trying for Bakersfield itself, you've got like a whole bunch of little teeny tiny mini faults. You've got like little bitsy things. But, I mean, with all faults, you need friction. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's how you get earthquakes, is they get locked, and the friction builds up, and then the friction is so much, it overcomes, and it breaks the rock, uh-huh. and the rock moves. Rock, the physical geology thing, not the actor. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> ever going to break under stress and friction. Nope. Um, <laughs> there's a whole detour to go down there. Um, but, like, and... When the part that breaks and moves free, that stress releases, and then you build up on the end. So that's how you could get like this cascading chain of earthquakes. Right. And okay. We think we've seen that in the Pacific Northwest before, of like unzipping the entire Cascadia Fault from Portland to Alaska. Mm-hmm. This series of like magnine earthquakes, which again we're just gonna like Portland is LA, San Francisco is Seattle. Yep, roll with it. There it is. Like, but like, so if you got friction, that needs to be touching each other, and if it's pulled apart. There is no friction. Yeah, right. Like offset like, seemed possible, but it, yeah. it would be offset. Like, it would but be offset. Yeah, so but offset not would happen. Ripping yeah, yeah. A in scene. which case, we're suddenly at like we're starting to get. So when I talked before about you can have plates move side to side, you can have them crash together, which yeah. we've already decided these are earthquakes from crashing together that yeah. are being like placed on somewhere that has side to side. Except for that one moment yeah. where suddenly we're at like a mid-ocean ridge and the plates are pulling apart, and you mm-hmm. have like new earth coming up from the center. And if we're gonna do that then I want some black smoker vents. Oh, yeah. Right, right. Yeah, like, give us like, give us I some flood basalt. <laughs> yeah. I want, like, pillow basalts and, like, weird-ass extremophiles in there and, like, toxic gases. So, okay, so it's just for... be confused, but you know what? Screw it. We can have a brand-new ocean forming at Bakersfield Field in the Mojave <laughs> so Desert. Like, that could have been a whatever. thing. It could have just been salt and sea ripping entirely northward to create a new plate. That would have been badass, actually. That sounds <laughs> fucking am- amazing. Yeah. Hold on, just for for point of reference about where they are, um, and this I remember there was something about it there. I was like yelling at the TV. So they, I think, from where I figured out where they were, they're on the 101, like northwest of Parkfield, Mika. So Parkfield is where the San Andreas Fault runs through, and Parkfield is has their their like tourist trappy thing is that they're the earthquake capital of the world. Oh, okay. Because they have really regular earthquakes that can be like, they're, they're heavily monitored. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just for point of reference, that's where the Sandra, they're northeast of Park, or northwest of Parkfield. Okay. And somehow there's the Sandreas fault there. I So what, what it sounds like I we have. I would also like to point out, the Cascadia subduction zone has more episodic tremor and slip. We have every 300 days, we have a series yeah. of like several hundred itsy bitsy teeny tiny earthquakes out. <laughs> As the, like the plate switches back and forth as stair steps, we have no idea what the hell's going on. Like not a clue. That's yeah. But so it sounds like it, it sounds happens. like this movie is combining every type of fault. Yeah, and making it the same. Like it, it's the it's the it's the magnitude of a subduction zone fault. With, the, but we're calling it the San Andreas fault. But it's ripping apart like it would like in random places, like in, in the ocean. Yeah. 
yeah. it seems like yeah. we're doing all the faults at one time. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Just making exactly. sure. We're just we're doing an entire plate like play tectonic lesson over the course of <laughs> which really the wrong location. plays into like, plays into one of the best parts of this movie which is maybe one of the best parts in any disaster movie ever when documentarian Arch- Archie Punjabi says to uh, Paul Giamatti she's like who do we call about this is like to tell people about disaster Paul Giamatti takes a beat to pause and in that yeah. Paul Giamatti way just goes everyone it's like yes <laughs> We call everyone. I wanted him to remove his glasses in a dramatic fashion <laughs> yeah. in that moment. Because like we've created, we've, we have, we have the Hoover Dam going down. We have the tsunamis. We have every kind of fault happening at the same time as the San Andreas fault. We've hybridized the Pacific Northwest with California. We've done every earthquake thing in one spot. So mm-hmm. yes, you call everybody, call everybody. Except for really just do it on Twitter because Twitter works faster than earthquake waves travel. So it's it, yeah. better than earthquake One the of the anyway. best parts about Los Angeles is earthquake Twitter. Yeah. As soon as there is any earth, I get on immediately and search LA earthquake. And it's the, the amazing like 60, 90 seconds where we are all together talking about like Chrissy Teigen, yeah. me, Amanda, fucking Darcy Carden, everybody is having earthquake Twitter and together. And you can track the earthquake where it's coming from based on who's tweeting first, which I love. And I feel like so... You su- know where someone's tweeting from and that they tweet it first and then all of a sudden it hits you a second later. I love that. This this actually so, reminds me of what you said about like the safest thing is community. Mm-hmm. The last time we had one that was kind of jarring, it was a very acute, like one of those ones where it feels like my house got punched by a giant. So that's the P wave that first punch. Quake. That well no, Ridgecrest Crest did not feel like that. That felt that felt like I was on waves. Yeah. I got I got Ridge motion Crest, sick from that. Every, yeah, we all at Ridgecrest, almost everybody out here in LA, so like from Palmdale to here is such a lot or from China Lake to here is such a big distance that we really just got these like weird rolling surface waves. Yeah, it was really, it was really like being in a yeah. boat. I, I, yeah, I, I, oh, the love waves. Yeah. <laughs> love waves are mechanically speaking exactly the same as wave orbitals yeah. of, of ocean waves. They move in circles. And that's what it felt like. Yeah, yeah that's why we all felt that. And it's the, those really kind of sharp one we had recently, it was one of those ones where it was just a quick jolt where you're, it, you're, you, it's so fast and it's so sharp. It's like, that couldn't have been an earthquake, but then you realize it couldn't have been anything else. And I posted like, I was watching earthquake Twitter happen. It was very exciting. And I posted during that I was like I just want earth I just want you guys to know out there in like LA earthquake Twitter if something happens post your location and if I am able to like I will get there Jordan, and I will rescue Jordan you. is the is the Cajun Navy like like I, like, I feel like I, I that I, I suddenly felt like oh my god this this could be all we have in well, the, like if I if somebody posts they're like fuck I'm in Larchmont and I'm under a car or a tree or something I'd be like uh, at reply you I'm I'm coming if I can get there That's, I'm coming that was actually a really good thing that they did in in this movie though was that all the cell signals every all cell towers anything that's not a hard landline's gonna yep. be down in a major earthquake Fuck. which is why like I'm maybe s- <laughs> wait maybe is this different now again I'm going off of There's information maybe. do we have hope <laughs> So there is, um, except for it's not regulated. Okay. Uh, so it's entirely based on money. Uh, Great. Uh, on that one. Uh, and it has to do with, you can tell if you will probably have a minimum cell service after an earthquake, oh. of whether or not you still have cell service during the power shutdowns for how long. Oh, oh. interesting. We don't get those. So there yeah. is a lot of the cell towers now have independent backup battery, but... It depends a lot which carrier you're on, how much money they spend for how long they have <laughs> service. Right. And 
when it happens, you're unlikely to be able to get a voice call through, but you can probably get a text message because they queue up and send in bulk. Oh, interesting. Queue up and so, send in bulk. Suddenly, just bursts of text escaping the Los Angeles area. Exactly. And if you have, say, text to Twitter set up, Oh then you do your little SOS my God! I this feels yeah, like yeah. an essential part of disaster preparedness. I, I'm, I, I am mentally <laughs> figuring out how to do this right this second. Are you kidding me? I because yeah. like oh, yeah, yeah, I yeah. in I my totally have it set up for being in the Pacific Northwest, where I'm just like you know if we have a major earthquake, I I have my out of area contact on the other side of the Rocky Mountains because anything that takes down Vancouver is taking down freaking everything nearby. Yep, sure. Yep. Um, so I have my out of area contact on the other side of the Rockies, call them to find out if I'm still alive or not. Yep. Yep. Uh, and then second is I have my text to tweet. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. And I have a couple pre-programmed in of come get me <laughs> or I'm okay. Right. Yeah. Wow. But it's, it's all comes down to that sense of community again. Cause what happens totally immediately after sense. an earthquake are who are the first responders on scene? And we see this in the movie. It's not the firefighters. It's not yep. the police. It's not the paramedics. It's the people who are physically closest to you. Yeah, yeah. And the ones that you have the strongest sense of connection with are the ones who notice you're missing and go looking for you. That's right. Like the rock, the rock takes an LA fire and yeah. rescue helicopter as far as he can go. Then he hijacks a plane because he's going to get his daughter. He is Godzilla of not fire and He rescue. does not in and this movie. I get through this whole movie, by the way, and he gets, I get to the end and I'm like, I realize suddenly the rock has not saved a single human except for his daughter. And incidentally. Well, the very beginning, the very beginning girl, the cold the, That is girl. his job. Yeah. But like once the earth, once shit happens. Yeah. He but does not save exactly a single what person. what you're supposed to do. I know, but As like, no, all of us. No, you're you're supposed to just go save your, you're supposed to sa- take a helicopter and save your daughter? <laughs> you are supposed to take care of yourself and your family before responding to others. Okay. Uh, yes. That is basic emergency preparedness is you take care of yourself and your family. And after you have done that, you deal with anything else. You do not show up on site. You do not respond until you've taken care of your family first. Okay. So he is allowed is, to not save. Okay. That actually makes me feel yeah, better. Right, this, I, I was like, shouldn't he at least like help out Liz and Bernie who are on the side of the road? <laughs> oh, thank God. No. Like, Let's nope, make, I, nope, he didn't help. Actually, but let's no, make a no. note, though, about Liz and Bernie, because this is like he, they're driving. They're going to drive up to get their daughter from L.A. It's it's him and Carla Gugino. And Having then, a very serious conversation in which The Rock, uh, Carla apparently asks him for the first time ever. Do you ever think about what our family would be like if our daughter hadn't died? Yes. And he says, no, no, he's which like, was no, the best. no, I'm fine. <laughs> which like felt very accurate. It felt so accurate. Like, this is how Godzilla would deal with this problem. Yeah, is he's like, not. no, I never I've not once thought about this and so but they're like driving really fast and they get waved down by this couple and then they realize ahead of them on the road is where the very fictitious and impossible fault has ripped open a canyon in the world and then they go back and they're like oh thanks you guys saved our lives and then he sees the old man wearing an aviation hat and he's like where'd you get your hat and that directs them to uh, a plane hangar where the rock steals a plane and then he gives the old couple the truck that is true he did give them the stolen truck brand new Ford F-150 truck and they're like thanks for the truck that is true then that's you know what that's that's what some might say is socialism (laughs) it's helping out your community right yeah Liz and Bernie cash society of bartering resources Liz Warren had a plan and that plan was tell the rock where the airplane is so that we can get his car yes yes I, I, I do like, I, like once I, just as a broad strokes there, once the first quake hits LA, I mean, hit San Francisco, Alex Daddario is trapped under a garage where her shitty future stepdad leaves her. And then she is rescued by the 
charming uh, British man she met in the lobby of this building. He's applied to apply for a job for, with her future stepdad's architecture firm. And well, they end up becoming companions throughout the movie. The British sure. guy and his little brother, who Ollie. is a great disaster boy. Love the Ollie is not a terrible child. No. Loved Ollie. Loved Was Ollie. Super on board for Ollie. They they rescue Alex from the car. Alex kind of Alex uses her survival skills to get them through the entire city and resolves that like okay we can't get to Knob Hill before the tsunami's gonna hit so we're gonna go to my shitty ex stepdad's uh, building that he's bringing he's building in the city because it's supposed to be super safe it's gonna be the tallest building so she is the one guiding them through this city and one of my favorite moments in the movie as she is our heroine as you pointed out Mika is that she's like we need to get into this. We need to get to Knob Hill because um, Coit Tower, where she was supposed to go, is out of commission. And the British guy like looks out at the vast expanse of devastation and is like, mm, I don't know, for no specific reason. Because he's like, everyone else is going in the oh, opposite yeah, like, direction. Maybe we shouldn't go in this the, in like the other direction and if everyone's going in one way. An amazing moment. The little boy is like, did you know about the rotary phone? Did you know about this XYZ survival yes! thing? Yeah. And he's basically like, stop mansplaining to this girl who saved our life several times. We should follow her. And then finally the guy's like, yeah, you're right. It's like, yeah, she is fucking right. She's yeah. been right at every turn. Thank you, little Ollie, for putting us back on track here. So here's the thing in yeah, the movie yeah, unless yeah. ollie is like nine he's closer in age to alex Dario's <laughs> character than other dude is and the whole movie like i was in the movie i'm like is he 14 because he kind of seems like he's 12 in the 12 to 14 <laughs> in this movie which means he's like six years younger than alex Dario than <laughs> than blake like do we have the wrong boy as the romantic i was i mean like <laughs> if not the fact that alex Dario looks like she is 28 in this movie age-wise she is way closer in age as a character to ollie ben has or whatever his name is had to get through six or eight years he had to get through eight years of architecture school he is minimum 26 in this movie (laughs) and she is 18 well and because Ollie says at one point he's like I can't wait to be 20 when she gives like when she gives little Ollie her phone number to give to her brother because she's setting up shop in the Bay Area she's gonna go here for school this guy's applying for a job here she's like I am staking this man out because I'm gonna be in the region well he gets the little precocious boy gets the phone number for his brother and he's like oh I can't wait to be 20 kind of implying to me that Blake was like 19 between 19 and 21 yeah I was like oh yeah okay she is like she is like undergrad aged I just yeah I I, the whole time I was like but she's closer like she just happens to also look like a 28 year old because she's Alex Sedario and she's basically what happens when the rock and Carla Gugino's yeah, she's, genetics combine. They're just like, uh, yeah, a preternaturally beautiful survivalist. Yeah. Thank God. I mean, and I love, I it's like her with her particular, um, her eyes that are very, uh, crystalline blue and large, her, her she, giant eye, eye eyes. She could not be a better disaster movie heroine because you read every imminent, catastrophe on her face as she's doing the stare at something before you see it and you're like oh this must be really bad because her eyes are the size of like charger plates at a wedding (laughs) which just really adds to the like amping up the adrenaline for me throughout the process of watching yeah so I I actually have tracked how young you can be an architect at because (laughs) at one point in time I had a physics instructor who told me I didn't know enough math to be a physicist so I should go and be an architect and oh I'm like God. do you understand how much math there is in architecture <laughs> absolutely yeah. like that's not that's not a reassuring uh-uh. statement no honestly no it was it, I take great 
pleasure in the fact that he now attempts to curry my favor. Presentation. <laughs> um, but the youngest can be an architect. So the youngest graduation is like 23. And pretty much if you look up the youngest architect in any state, they get licensed at 24 at the very, very, very right. youngest. Okay. Yeah. And there is some sort of like, I think it was written in the script that Blake is supposed to be 19. Okay. Although okay. I am still insisting that she actually took a couple of gap years. She did the only thing way that makes sense. And I say this based on being an extremely disaster obsessed person from mm. the West Coast, which, <laughs> as we've established, had a very clear origin story. Very. And I did not know this much disaster preparedness information when I graduated high school. <laughs> it took me a right. couple of yes. years to pick it up. Yeah. And I'm like, unless she was volunteering with her dad at <laughs> Urban Search and Rescue, like yes. she might have picked it up if she was working at like um, the the NERT, the Neighborhood Emergency Response Teams that are all over California. But you have to be 18 years old minimum mm. to be able to do that training. Twist, yeah. Well, and so, she clearly would. She's uh, she saves people. She has a great hat on her shoulders. Yeah. I think Blake's got a great future. I, I uh, so as yeah. as a a a neurotic, the only thing that I was like. If she were shown to be more externally neurotic, <laughs> then I'd be like, yeah, 100%. She would have known that shit when she was 15. <laughs> Just like my neurotic ass at the age of six. Was like, I'm going to teach myself sign language in case I somehow go deaf and need to communicate still. Or I'm going to memorize the Dewey Decimal System because what if one day I need to find the Dewey Decimal System mm. and I don't have access to a card catalog? <laughs> so like... I fully believe as when yep. I like I, as a child, when I move, whenever I move into a, or I don't do it anymore, but I used to be that like whenever I moved somewhere, I was like, where's the nearest payphone?" Because it was back in the day when right. people would say like, you can't get a cell signal. Yeah. And so I like drilled it into when I lived at my old place, my ex-boyfriend's head, I was like, in the event that there was a major earthquake, we have to go to this location, this location or this one, because those are where the payphones are. Wow. And that's how we'll be able to call my parents' house to let them know that we're okay. Wow. And then we'll head up there. So I fully believe that like independent of any sort of trading <laughs> classes, the only thing is the yeah. triage, like that she, but she, you know what she, by the way, what? did he not have a belt on? She should have used a belt and not <laughs> her shirt. To I triage. Mean, I will say, just I in the middle of a hill. that level of triage training in a public high school in Mill Valley, California, on the other side of the Golden Gate Bridge. That was part of my PE final. Okay, <laughs> see? I actually, my PE <clears throat> final first aid exam required, I got hit by an airplane and had a broken toe oh, and what? like a couple other ridiculously minor injuries. Yes. My partner fell off a bike and had a protruding broken bone <laughs> and a spokes through their arm. Uh-huh. Like ridiculously graphic. <laughs> and that was our final exam. That's amazing. So mm. I can believe okay. that if she grew up in Marin County, All right. there is like a weirdly high level <laughs> of gruesomeness yeah. in our first aid classes at public high schools. Well, I, I, I will like my, my final, my only real like were points of like unbelievability that I thought were annoying were, uh, well, I guess like my last bits would be, uh, when they're downtown like, cause she calls from an electron, she calls her parents from an electronic store in Chinatown after like hot wiring a phone. Uh, you cannot see the Golden Gate Bridge like they show it to you in this movie from Chinatown. That would have been where the Bay Bridge was located. And when they're heading to Coit Tower from Chinatown, which would make sense, the little boy is like, you just go up Lombard Avenue and that'll put us at Coit Tower. It's like, no, Lombard Avenue is what you would take to get to Coit Tower if you were coming from 
V Marina. If you're in Chinatown, you're just right next door to North Beach and there's almost nothing convenient to North Beach besides the financial district in Chinatown. So you wouldn't have to go up and down big fucking iconic Lombardo Avenue to get there. It would just be right next to you. So those were, those are my only nitpicks. If you want to get anywhere efficiently, you never take Lombard. Never. Like it's, Literally, it's a street that is as windy as you can make a street. Yeah. I, like, it, that is the point of Lombard. Just go one block to the side and straight shot. It just, it, it's like they it's like they say it because it's the only street you might know yeah. in San Francisco. So like, let's say Lombard. It, it would be like if they were here in LA and they're like, we got to go down Hollywood Boulevard. Like that's just, they're just going to pick the common. <laughs> yeah, like it's streets. happening in the movie Volcano. But like, we got to go down Hollywood Boulevard. It's like, no, you don't. That's five yeah. miles from anything that's going on right now. But I, I, for me, that take, like, well, I guess to put a pin on the end of the movie, um, they, they do, Alex takes her two British friends. They do get into the, the big building, which has tipped over as a result of the quake and is resting on another building and things get catastrophically worse when the tsunami hits it. And eventually it collapses into the water low enough to where Alex has to swim her way to freedom. Just as her dad finds her, they've been scouring the, uh, tsunami the landscape of san francisco in a in a raft in a in a boat uh her parents have been they find her he dives in to get her she drowns uh on her way to exiting but he heroically saves her life in the way that he could not save their their other child the family is reunited alex has saved lives the rock has saved alex's life it is a wonderful Ending all things considered for the families of our heroes, even if the devastation is untold, un- untold numbers of casualties for everybody else, basically from Los Angeles to San Francisco. I, okay. <clears throat> before the gross bit of everybody dies of dysentery. Oh, yeah. So that's nice. Right, right. Um, like, I'm happy to skip that bit. Yeah. <laughs> I just imagine what his, what Ben's thigh is infected with by the end of this movie. Oh, yeah. That is, that it, just much like in, in when we watched the movie Crawl and the dad's limbs were just his open wounds yes. were exposed to swamp water. To Florida swamp water. I can't even begin to imagine. I will say the one point. Fortunately, like, all of his limbs get cut off. Yeah, that's true. He does end up just in. with stumps. <laughs> one, one thing I will say for a point of like, unbelievability that had nothing to do with science mm-hmm. was that when he was when the rock was performing chest compressions he would I was have been watching pushing clear I was through to her like, fucking spine thank you I was like, just it like there's been no palms world of hands down to her spine there is no world yeah, in which he would not, not have breaking bones it's not hard enough well but but the rock I don't think he can modulate the amount of force <laughs> no. he's going to use on chest compressions on, I don't believe on a young woman it would be it would be Lenny and a bunny like <laughs> You, Alex Daddario I, has such fine bone structure. <laughs> she is basically made of like one of those Easter eggs that you actually like a hard boiled Easter egg where it's just the shell. It's that you just get that, the shell. It's just the shell. That's her chest. And the rock is just the only people. It. The only person the rock could do chest compressions on is 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 Vin Diesel. I was going to say John Cena. It, yeah. Like yeah. those are there are a select few people the rock can do chest compressions on and they survive. Vin Diesel and his brother John Cena. <laughs> because he doesn't like he would just I think he would pop Alex's heart. Oh, my God. Like just the pressure of trying to start it back up again. He would liquefy her ribs, pop her heart and maybe break her spine in the process I, yeah i just fully expected him to accidentally <laughs> just do a chest compression and then pull his hand back up and he'd just be holding her heart he in his hand as her fucking lungs in his hand yeah like carla gugino should have been the one doing chest compressions Ab- well he drives the boat so as not to re-kill his yeah. daughter who is drowned 100 yeah. i also cannot believe that anybody would do chest compressions without having to hum a song along with it to yeah. get the right frequency <laughs> oh. i don't care if it's either 
another one by dust or, or staying, staying alive, alive. <laughs> i really <laughs> wanted the, i really wanted i want the rock one or the other and there's got to be broken bones yeah. yeah what are you doing you are not saving a life you are massaging a corpse yeah yeah, yeah you are <laughs> yeah he's like he's either <laughs> massaging a corpse or he's just fully he's pulverizing he's, he's the li- insides of his daughter he was like liquefaction was happening inside <laughs> yeah. of her chest cavity. yes her innards were a bowl of oatmeal sloshing about <laughs> as a result of the godzilla giving her chest compressions <laughs> This is a very, I think this is a great point to transition into our, what is this movie really about? Which I have really realized throughout the course of this conversation. Yeah, go for so, it. So Mika, do you want to start? I I am maintaining that it is about the story of a cute girl who saves lives and wins hearts oh, yeah. through knowledge. You, you like, are my it. kind of disaster oh. specialist. That's the movie. It's The <clears throat> Rock is like, the excuse to like justify her the love interest is like he's just gotta yeah. sit there to yeah. complain a little bit until yeah. his little brother like slaps him upside the head yes all of the disasters are happening so she can prove i still know what to do <laughs> i <laughs> love it scenario like idol for young girls actually do preparedness idol it's for teen girls hilarious. alex daddario in san andreas <laughs> amanda what is this movie about for you uh, much like the fast and the furious films <laughs> I would argue that this is a movie about family. (laughs) Um, This is a movie about the importance of family. This is a movie about uh, maintaining the nuclear family. You know, we didn't touch on this. It's a little conservative. Well, yeah, I think it's a very conservative film. We didn't touch on this, but like we full on agree that the British family, the Ollie and his brother, their parents were on a cruise. That is the cruise ship that gets crashed through San Francisco, right? His parents are full on dead. And that was that cruise ship that we see. That's possible. Like I, that's my head cannon. Um, and that's because the parents abandoned their child mm. to choose to take a trip <laughs> and left him in the custody of his older brother who mm. has his own things going on. But yes. the only ones we see survive Susan, who is Daniel's bro- sister. Oh yeah. Um, terrible Susan, Kylie Minogue. Yeah. She is, as far as we can tell, a childless harpy. Yeah. <laughs> who loves only her brother. Yeah. Daniel loves nothing but his his giant buildings. Yes. Um, those his are his shitty children. Shitty giant buildings. Yeah, his, his terrible shitty giant, giant buildings. buildings. The, his, his, his sky penises. His, his towering inferno giant buildings. Yes. Um, so he, they both die. The only one, what people survive based on the fact that they are related by blood and marriage to other people. Um, Liz and Bernie, they survived because they are married and bound together. Uh Um, And then Ollie and Ben, I think his name is Ben. I don't know. Yeah, I don't actually remember. It doesn't matter. Ollie's name gets said so many times. Thank you. I normally just refer to all the characters by their names, by their actors' names, because I'm really bad at names. Like Agent Maggie Grace. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, Ollie and... What? It's... It's community. Yeah, it's community. Very yeah. true but it's life. a very like, specific kind of community. It is specifically gotta be family. It's values, values, voters, yeah. conservative nuclear, conservative idea of and, nuclear family. And of course, Alex Daddario and Ben are clearly going to get married one day. Yeah, creating their own As nuclear family. Ollie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and all they will they will be all these legal guardians because they're going to have to be because his parents are dead on that cruise ship. And it's going to be weird because Ollie's crush is not going to subside. Never on his mom yeah no, <laughs> his, his mom, mom sister yeah no. his mom's sister it's never gonna be not weird and it's gonna end up being a reddit relationships post in which like he has and then there'll be a sequel in which ollie will have to die because of his 
non-nuclear family views. Yeah, and, there, and there's going to be a San Andreas too. So I'm wondering if we're going to get carryover cast as far as like the outside the family unit goes. Oh. Yeah. There's going to be a San Andreas too. Yeah. Oh, thank God. Yeah. I, I did order this on DVD after I rented it on Amazon. <laughs> it should be arriving in two days from Best Buy. Shockingly, if you go into Best Buy, they do not have it. You have to order it online. That's a failing. I Yeah. Anyway, so that's that's what I would say. It's about, it's about family. Yeah. Uh, Jordan, what do you say this movie is about? I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with what, what exactly what, what Mika has said is the most vital thing here. It is about community. Okay. It's about like, you know, know who you bank with, know who your grocers are, know the people serving you coffee because you never know in a condition of dire straits who you're going to need to rely on to protect you. It's true. Ideally, that will be a very beautiful girl who has canny survival skills. That's a best case scenario. Um, it is, But it is about saying hi to that person sitting in the foyer with you if they seem receptive to conversation. You know, provided Only they want if to they participate. Seem, yes, Provided guys, they want to participate. Just because Alex Daddario is sitting across from you in a reception lobby area, yes. do not start talking to her. Yes. She, Wait till she, she must initiate. Yes. Her eye contact has to come first and then must be followed by conversation initiation. If she accidentally makes eye contact with you, and this applies to women generally, don't start talking. Yeah, no. And if she starts looking at her phone or stops making eye contact with you as that conversation stops going forward quit talking yeah so just that. if she has headphones in that's not because she hasn't realized she has headphones in she knows and if she's not smiling it's because she definitely does not need correction no yeah. uh, and she doesn't need she doesn't need an invitation to smile either like we can hopefully this can consider that your own emotional disaster prepared in a segment <laughs> gents um, but yeah, I, it's, it's, it's about the, it is about the, the, the value of community and it is additionally about, uh, I think the genius of this casting director putting together Carla Cugino, the rock and Alex Daddario as a family unit. Yeah. I value that. I am grateful for that. And I can't wait to see that replicated in, in San Andreas too. I feel like we haven't gotten spent enough time just gushing about Carla Gugino in this because like when she picks up the phone, calls Daniel and says, you better hope that you're dead because if you're not, I'm going to fucking kill you. Yeah, you left then, my daughter. If you're not dead already, I'm going to fucking kill you. It just I wanted I wanted the John Wick style action. Where is her John Wick style action movie? She has a show currently on Cinemax that is that is not that is that is a sort of action series for her. So. I want her to kill someone with a pencil. I, I, I think I, cause this will, I think this segues well into dream casting actually, because I don't have a dream cast. I, this cast is perfect. Yeah. And Carla Gugino, if I like, I, I could just say like the recent tribute to Laura Dern at the independent yeah. spirit awards, sort of like a song of my heart is just all of Carla, just saying Carla Gugino's name over and over again with like superimposed images of her, like a, a performing career behind me. Like just her whole deal the her she is a dynamic performer she is eternally just an unbelievably gorgeous individual she is I, I, she's such a talent she has such range and when she says that particular line the way her voice drops and the way that kind of like deep authoritative smoky carla gugino voice that she oh, can do so cool it is at once devastating and thrilling yeah I, I just can't like the between the two the alpha in this marriage is not the rock it is carla gugino oh yeah no he's a giant oh, no, puppy no, no. dog yeah absolutely yes like the Rock is along for the ride in a family of incredibly smart and yes. confident women. Yes. And his job is to not piss them off. Exactly. And I think that's exactly a quote that he would say. <laughs> yeah. 
is, yes. I, I, I have a family of amazing women and my job is to not piss them off is exactly something The Rock would say. If there's one thing emotionally I would like to change about this movie, it's that the shitty stepdad doesn't die because a shipping container crushes him on the Golden Gate Bridge. I'm just sad The Rock didn't get to cave his chest in after Carla Gugino oh. cuts his throat <laughs> for him. Say, would you really take that revenge from the lady? Uh, yeah, no, no. Like that's The, the that... Rock's job is to dispose of the corpse. <laughs> yes. It is to throw him over his shoulder like a stick figure man and get rid of the body after Carla Gugino has 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 torn off his head. Yeah. That is the whole job. So yeah, but I can't change it. resources. He can be a fuel source. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I can't change it. I cannot change a thing about this casting. It is truly perfection for me. The only casting I would change personally is mm-hmm. um, just to carry our theme forward. Yeah. I would actually like Daniel instead of being the ex-husband uh-huh. or being the, the new husband, because it's like, we've seen that a lot of times. We've seen that in like 2012. There's always like the new husband yeah, yeah. kind of character. There's always like somebody replacing Dad. I want it to be her shitty boyfriend. Okay. Played by Ansel Elgort. <laughs> wow, younger man. Well, in this movie, they'd be the same age, theoretically, but played by like Ansel Elgort or Miles Teller. It could uh-huh. be either one of them. Sure. Um, and he's like, don't worry, I can take her up to school. And The Rock's like, I don't like how he drives. <laughs> and they get up and then he abandons her. And yeah. then Carla and The Rock are pissed because this terror. And then she meets the new good boyfriend. Uh-huh. But like terrible garbage boyfriend. And then we get to watch uh, Miles and or Ansel be hit by... A tanker truck. Yeah, no, that I accept that yeah. hypothetical injection. That's the only the only casting change I would make in this. Um, otherwise, it's a pretty perfect movie. So that brings us then to our, uh, if in case you, we didn't run it past you earlier, our grading scale, uh, Mika, is how many towering infernos does a movie get on a scale of one to five for its level of quality? Uh, and I'll I'll start off and say this for me, San Andreas is a five towering infernos movie. Wow, it's okay. a five infernos, Carla. The Rock, a disaster. Alex Daddario, survival. Boom. All right. The city of San Francisco crashing down Golden Gate Bridge. I mean, come on now. You didn't even bring up the fact that it's got the God. What's his name? I almost called him Stanley Tucci. Paul Giamatti. Paul Giamatti. Thank I, you. That's the thing. It's a movie that's so good. I can even forget that Paul Giamatti was there because Which there's is so amazing. many good things. It's so hard to forget. Paul Giamatti's in something, even if you want to call him Stanley Tucci. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Okay. Like. I, I would have to deduct a half tower just because of that one freaking triangle of life. Fair. Okay. Like, fair. fair. No, be as, be as harsh as you need to be. It's so all about fun. honesty. Yeah. I would totally like, I would say if you're going to, when I'm teaching the natural disasters section I, and my students don't want to show up, I'd be okay with them ditching class to go watch this movie and using it to write the exam about <laughs> like, how do we survive? I would be cool with it. Great. I, I feel like they would come through and they'd live, except for that <laughs> except one Except for that thing. one thing. And, the one th- that- and it drives me crazy because it was not necessary for the plot. Yep, yep. Like, we could have had, like, what do you do if there's an earthquake and you're out in the middle of a freaking giant field? Yep. Great, you just get away from all the walls and then you shelter <laughs> in place and back in your neck. Like, where do you go in an earthquake when you're in a downtown core is a really interesting question. That is yeah. a good question. And they took something that could have been freaking phenomenal and they slid in that one piece of persistent mythology that will kill people Ugh. i think that's and totally that, fair yeah, that's that a totally right fair docking deduction yeah in their defense that was going around hardcore like when i assumed they were writing this movie in 2012 2013 that was all over like facebook and email forwards i remember getting so many of them about the triangle of life and like i think i even had a professor who was like get between your bed and a wall and i was like i don't know if that's a great plan it was like some random dude and they had multiple seismology 
scientists that they were paying money to to do the science for this movie right, and right. gave them good advice. And the scientists afterwards are like, yeah, they didn't pay attention. And I, I'm like, oh. Yeah. No, oh, that's that's a totally worthy deduction. Yeah. It's dangerous misinformation. If he had held exactly. up the entire side of AT&T Park, though. Yes. If the rock had, like, if it had all landed on the rock yep. and then he stood up I and threw it all that. off his back, yep. it would yep. get that five half a point back, right? Totally. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If we just were like, you know what? Everybody cluster around the rock. Yeah. Steve, he'll take care of you. That is a, a Effective disaster advice. The fact that they made like skyscraper in Vancouver shortly afterwards, and that's pretty much the movie, is you know it's it's the unofficial sequel that fixes this small slight problem. And and so Amanda, where does that leave you with the infernos? I'm so back and forth on this because I'm like just shy of giving it five because to this day, like Volcano is still my five. Fair. I went back and listened because I did set us up a letterbox and I was going (laughs) to put all of our ratings into it, and Uh we never did like officially do a rating for Volcano and that is my five. Okay. like that's your baseline. I just have such a good time every time I watch it. Yep. Um, And this is so close to that. And like, I'm, I don't know. I, I might, I did buy it on DVD. So maybe like (laughs) 4.75. Okay. Okay. I think I just can't quite give it the five, but like, it's so close. Yeah. It's as close. as the core is going to be my next five. I'm just telling you all that right now. (laughs) Like that's just, I don't know. Take a shot. Amanda said the core. Like basically. Yeah. Is where we're at with the core. That's all. I replaced the core with this as my favorite. (gasps) Oh Oh my God. Really? I'm so honored. I'm so honored. We got to have you on to talk about it. I mean, like I'm not, I'm not arguing that that's equally as valid. I just love, how bananas the core is as like it's just it's just absurd <laughs> i love it i'm so excited the for one part of, of the core that infuriates me beyond all else is it when they come up they in the end about, it's they come up in a gap in the tectonic plates. i know by hawaii. hawaii i know <laughs> you do a map of the tectonic plates of the there's Earth, nothing that is literally the farthest you can get <laughs> from any the of the plates planet from a gap i know they could have done it's a hot spot somewhere near <laughs> They could have had them surfing That's down Mauna Kea in the thingy. <laughs> the thingy. They and could have been in like, yes. They could have been erupted out of the pond. <laughs> and just like the Candlestick Park thing, it is a a dangerous bit of mythology that directly leads to bad disaster information that can cost lives. There you go. And it's more subtle than the the whole candlestick park thing. Like that's just bad advice. <laughs> but the the hot spot versus gap in the tectonic plates tells you about what type of volcanoes you'll have. Tells you about the type of earthquakes you have. Tells you about the type of disasters you should expect. And you are not going to get the same eruptions from Hawaii as you do at Mount St. Helens. And that annoys me. Yeah. No, it's like the rest of it, the, like when that happens, there's so much like in this where you go, that's just, it's not just like that it's bad science, it's just nonsense science. You're like, yeah, cool. I'll go along with that. Why can't nukes restart the core? <laughs> but then there's this one thing and it's such a like weird, easy thing to not fuck up. And if you just happen to have a national, ge- like if you happen to have the, the, map of the ocean what? floor all you need is the Tharpazin map of the ocean floor there's a <laughs> big map that everyone has seen in their lives and that's so easy and it's like wow that's what you guys chose to mess up I love the core so much that's I, another yeah, episode we're, we're closing in on two, ep- yeah, two we're hours have we have to, to end this I, I, I feel like me me and Amanda and Jason can can hash out next movie yeah. I feel like we can let you sign off thank you so much <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us about this. Thank you so much, Mika. Just for your, just so you know, the Corps had multiple geoscientists on staff, all from University of British Columbia. So they're my former, like, 
we yeah. weren't classmates at the same time. Oh, wonderful. I have talked to them all, and none of them have worked in movies since because they were so angry at the experience. Uh, <laughs> wow. Well, that's good trivia. I mean, I fully believe that. This is this is a movie. Yep. That movie is so great because they're like, oh, science. No, we don't know her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, and they paid people money to ignore them and accuse them of having overly neat handwriting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The, the greatest insult one can give a person. I mean, I feel like we'll just edit this chunk into our episode about the chorus, like a special <laughs> bit of feature. Um, but it, it, Mika, thank you so much for joining us and providing such wonderful insight and science and context for the, for San Andreas. We thank you so much. We appreciate yeah. it so much. And do you real quick, is there anything you want to promote? Um, do you want to like, how, where can people find you? Do you have anything that you want to, anything coming up that you'd like to talk about real fast? Uh, I, I am frequently doing events all over the country, so I've got a TEDx talk out in New York in March, and I will be doing uh, various sci-fi conventions, including GateCon, a Stargate convention in Vancouver in mm-hmm. the summertime. Anyone who wants to talk about science and fiction, just check out your local convention. If they don't have me, they can always invite me to show up. <laughs> and where can they find you on like social media? Uh, I am at Mika McKinnon on pretty much any social media platform. Okay. We will direct people to you then. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Absolutely. And if you ever want to talk about the core, I would have so much fun with that. (laughs) Thank (laughs) you, Mika. Thanks. You you too. Bye. Bye. So that brings us to what we will be watching next week. And what an embarrassment of riches. We have just had Mika McKinnon on to talk about San Andreas. And next week we will have Joey Bian Khan a uh, journalist, friend of mine, former, and also a former Wired one from Wired Magazine, uh, to talk about children of men. Yeah, we're going with, we're going with a totally different kind of disaster. Different vibe, different entry point in there, but I'm really excited to unpack it. Yeah, I like that we're expanding out beyond like the standard, just beyond what is a disaster into sort of like what is a humanitarian disaster. Yes, yes. I've never seen this. I've only, I've read the, I've read the script but I've never seen it. I, yeah, I feel like this is a movie that uh, this is a movie that really rewards a watch. Yeah, like I've, it, without it being like I feel like even reading the script it wouldn't be spoiled just because the tone yeah. is so crazy. I mean, like the, the desperation so brutal is so essential to this movie. And There's like, a lot that the visuals do in this movie. Yes, like, it, it is yes. a very very well directed movie. Yeah, All yeah, right. to just like to watch that final scene yeah. happen and feel so immersed in it. Um, so yeah, that'll be next week. Okay. Hell yeah. So let me let's find out. Hold on one second. Are you finding out where it's streaming? Well, then, uh, in the meantime, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. we have a new review. Yes. Uh, and this review comes from one of many Tylers. Uh, <laughs> Good name. All right, it's great. Uh, it gives us a five-star review titled, A Fantastic and Fun Podcast. Uh, one of many Tylers says, They're whip-smart, hilarious, and passionate about disaster movies. All of the above. Aww. Everything you could want from a movie podcast, especially one dedicated to a specific subgenre. It's absolutely worth listening, even if you ha- uh, can't make the time for the movies themselves. Wonderful. Thank you. That's really nice. That Thank is really you. Nice. Thank you. Thank one you, of Tyler. many Tylers. One of many Tylers. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So there are many places you can watch Children of Men. Um, so we've got Amazon Video or Amazon Prime. Mm. Is it I free t- on Prime? Um, you know. Or is this like a rent to watch? I think this is a rent to watch situation. Um, so Letterboxd, I. I Decided to get Letterboxd and figured out, but you, you can. I haven't figured out how, what to do with Letterboxd yet. 
beyond to put our podcast like watch lists up. Right. Oh, man, um, you have many things to learn. Uh, what I will say is that uh, you can watch it on Hulu and Sling TV with subscriptions, oh, as well as oh, a Stars subscription. Okay, oh, thank you. So sweet. that is not listed on Letterboxd. I'm going to have yeah, to... Yeah, best thing to do that I've found for okay. anyone looking for a movie to stream out there is just type the movie title and then streaming, and Google Okay, yeah. so a, hold on. It just auto-populates at the top. So no, it's on Stars. it's on um, Prime for rental. It's on Prime for rental? Okay. That's it. I'm, it's I not mean, on... it's showing Hulu for me. Okay, it's on IMDb and on... Well, in any event, if you have stars, as I do, good luck to... Good joy for us. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, uh, now that we have got a scientist in the fold, Kit is going but Kit's going The dog, the dog loves just, bags. The kid is on just going to right town now. on a paper bag right here. Um... But yeah, I guess we should do the where can we find yeah. one another on social media. So, uh, Jordan, where can we find you? Uh, at Jorcru, J-O-R-C-R-U. I am at Amanda R. Tubbs. That's Tubbs with two Bs. And I am at Jason Halftones. And thank and- you again to our wonderfully informative guest, Mika McKinnon, yeah. for joining us for San Andreas. I learned so much, and I hope you guys did too. So uh, for the pod itself, you can find us. Uh, we're disaster underscore pod on Twitter. We're disaster, uh, disastergirlspod at gmail.com. Um, we are now on Letterboxd, which I still haven't figured out completely, but I'll yeah. figure it out eventually, guys. <laughs> yeah. uh, we're disaster girls on Letterboxd if you want to follow us or like, I don't know, I don't know. See what our list. People are talking a lot about Letterbox right now. I don't really know. You guys, I, why you guys made it sound like a cool really thing last week. No, I guys, had no. Part I of love it. it. I, uh, Jason loves it. Jason, I trust Jason. So I made a Letterboxd for us because I wanted to be cool. I was like, it's that or TikTok, and I don't know how to TikTok either. <laughs> so you can, I guess, follow us on Letterboxd and yeah. see like the la- large assortment of terrible movies that exist out there. Exactly. There um, please, guys, if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast. Please rate. Please review. Um, please share us on Twitter. Share us everywhere. And uh, spread the good word. Spread the good word, and we will see y'all back next week for Children of Men. Bye. That might be cool.com. You never know. <laughs>